The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. We're going to talk today about, um, so we're just going to kind of continue this theme that the guys started last week of next. What's next? What's next for OPCC? Um, and so I, as I pondered that question and thought about it a little bit, um, I felt, one, the need a little bit to give you a real quick update about um, some physical stuff, like the, the building, what's next, because we've talked a lot about that. So we have sort of a concept, a design, a, um, a schematic design of what we want to do. And um, so we live in, we live in this, uh, we try to live as, as a leadership and as an advisory board and as, as a body, you've heard me say this before, um, we try to live in the tension between faith and and foolishness. Okay, so like what, what is foolish? And we go, man, that, that, that would just be foolish to do that. Um, and then what takes faith? Uh, so we don't want to look at things and go, well, it doesn't take us any faith to do this because we can just do that in our own power. Um, and so we, we want to make sure that we're not being foolish, but we are exercising faith. So with that said, we kind of released um, these documents out and are getting bids and stuff. And, and some of the initial bids come back and we said, that's foolish. <laughs> and so we're kind of trying to figure out where faith is at. So be in prayer about that. I don't want to get into it a whole lot. The, the time will come when the Lord says um, that we're to dive in and I'm, I'm starting to unveil things to you. But, but that's kind of where we're at. We need, to, we need to see, you know, like what is something that, that requires some faith of us but also would not be foolish. And so the architect's working and I'm having meetings with him and discussions and other contractors and trying to figure out uh, from a cost perspective what, what would be something that would be um, reasonable for us to, to take on as a body of believers. So that's one. And it's really important because we're reaching out to the community and sort of making a statement about who we are. And quite honestly, the building does not, uh, like it's the biggest sign that you, any body of, of believers has is the building. As far as a, from a physical standpoint, and our building does not uh, match who we are. Like this doesn't it doesn't say the same thing as you look on the outside of actually what's happening on the inside. So that's that's an important thing for us. So so that's the next that's coming out in the future. And then so what's next for us as a body of believers spiritually? Now that's the most important thing because what difference does it make what what your building looks like or what you're trying to say to the community if what's happening on the inside isn't really worthy of the community finding out about which we believe it is, and so what is next for us as a body of believers as we think about um, even coming up to uh, this this experience of Easter and it is easier to invite friends to Easter right now than. To, or to service or church than it will be at any other time uh, throughout the year because most people go to church on Easter. I mean, even people that don't know the Lord, they tend to go to church. And so uh, it it is easier. But truthfully, um, it ought to be easy for you to invite your friends to come to the church all the time. Like it just should be something that you want to do. It should be something that you feel is important and necessary. It should be something that we go... Man, we need to open this thing up. And so we talk a lot about um, spiritual family. So, so what is that? And I, the Lord, is, he's kept drawing me to John chapter 8. And so I, I left your um, bulletin blank this week because I, and there was just so much stuff coming out that I was like, man, I don't know what to put in there. And then some of you complain sometimes that there's not enough room to write notes anyway. So happy Sunday. 
You just fill that thing up with whatever you want. I do have a few things to share with you uh, here at the end. I'll make some observations myself. But, but we're going to jump into John chapter 8, and we're going to talk about this idea of spiritual family and what we mean by that. When we say spiritual family, are we saying to people who are just spiritual, that's our family? That's not what we're saying. Like there's some, there, there are requirements to be a part of the spiritual family that we think is only the only real, if you will, and true spiritual family. There are a lot of spiritual people in the world. As a matter of fact, probably most people are spiritual. Some are not, but most people are probably spiritual in one uh, facet or another. So when we say spiritual family, we, we definitely mean something. And the truth is, according to scriptures, there are only two families. There is the family of God, and there's those who are not a part of that family. And so for us as a body, it's important for us to work and develop the intimacy of our spiritual family. Like you need to know and be known in this body of believers. You need to know the people here, especially the size of church we are right now. We should know each other well. We should spend time with one another. And that should be the thing. Our love for one another should be the thing that pours out into the community and speaks to them about the love of the Lord, is that we have this experience that, that we share as a family, and it is extremely important to us. As a matter of fact, it is even more important than our own families by blood. Right. So just, just to be clear, in case you think you might have misheard me, what I just said is, your spiritual family should be more important than your physical family by blood. That's what Jesus said. If you don't love mother, if, if you don't love me more than you love your mother, father, father, brother, sister, you cannot be my disciple. Now, was he advocating for us not to love our families? No, there, there's, a, there's, there's a certainly obedience in loving our families well. But it has to be more important that our spiritual family is more important from a standpoint of being involved in a part of a spiritual family, because that's really what makes you a great person in your physical family. You're um, by blood, and when we look in, in, in humanity and, and who we know just as human beings that we have been put in a family with. So spiritual family is supposed to be really, really important. And so today I want to talk about like, how does one get in the spiritual family? How do you get in that family? How do you, how do you become part of it? Is it, well, I go to OPCC, so I'm part of the spiritual family? You might be surprised to hear that, no, that's not it. Um, is it that you go to another church and you're part of that spiritual family? No, that's not it either. There's only one way into the spiritual family, and Jesus, I think, um, in John chapter 8 tells us, and he, he really speaks clearly about family and how one um, becomes a part of that family. So uh, there's an interesting thing that happens before the teaching that he does about family, and it's um, this experience he has uh, with this woman as he's teaching. It's, a, it's, a, it's mind-boggling. Let's look at verse 1 of John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles or your, your device there, just open it up and follow along with me. Now, this is, this is Jesus, a real historical experience that he's having. So we're not, we're not reading about something like some saying. We're reading about something that happened to Jesus. According to John, who was Jesus' best friend and was alive at the time and knew him. It says, uh, then each went to his own house in verse 53 of uh, 
chapter 7, and it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So he's got all these people, and Jesus is teaching them. And it says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Like they caught her in the act. This woman is having a bad day. Stop and think about it. Not only was she caught, they're dragging her to church while the teacher is teaching. It's a bad day. So they brought the woman in caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it is commanded to us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this to question, uh, this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they're trying to trip Jesus up. But Jesus bent down and he started writing on the ground with his finger. And so he's down there and he's writing on the ground. It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So he has an incredible amount of compassion on this woman. He says, I'm not going to condemn you either. After he said, whoever is without sin can throw the first stone. He is without sin. He could have picked up a rock, cracked her right in the head and been justified according to the Scriptures. He was without sin. But he doesn't. He says, I don't condemn you. And then he tells her something very important that I think we need to understand in this century, modern day that we're living in. Leave your life of sin. Don't stay in this state that you are in. Don't quit, keep living the way that you're living. When, Jesus, when you meet Jesus, there is an expectation that there is a change in your life. Things shift for you. And so that's what happens. Now, the question is, what was Jesus writing on the ground? And there are all kinds of theories. Um, some say he was writing the very um, uh, commands of God down. Some say he was writing the sins that the people who brought the woman in uh, had committed in their own life. And they set her up. I mean, they knew what was happening. They didn't care about the woman. They set the whole thing up. They wanted to catch the woman so that they could catch Jesus. If they were really concerned about the woman, they would have never let it happen in the first place. But that's not what they were concerned about. And so we don't know. Like, we don't really know what Jesus wrote. And so what if he wrote, and I don't know this, okay? So don't say, Jimmy said this is what he wrote. Jimmy said, what if? It's possible. What if he wrote spiritual family? Now, why would I say that? Because it's fascinating to me that in the Gospel of John, right after this, we get this incredible teaching from Jesus about his identity, and it has a lot to do with family. A lot of times, John chapter 8, we jump into it, and we think of it as uh, 
the truth chapter because it is loaded with truth. But the entire Bible is loaded with truth. But here in John chapter 8, he specifically talks about truth and truth setting um, the captive free. But as we look at this, it's fascinating to learn what Jesus said after he, after he has this encounter that we, John records here in John chapter 8. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Because everything had to be validated among the Jews by two witnesses. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But I do judge, uh, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Okay? And so what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about God, and he's talking about himself. And he's saying, look, you can look at all of the things that I'm able to do that are supernatural, and you can see that the Father is behind all that I do. Who else is doing the stuff that I do? And so he's beginning to push, and he's beginning to lean in. And so what do we know about family? We know we have to have a father to have a family, okay? Like the family, if you're going to bring a kid into the world, there needs to be a father. There needs to be a mother. And so he's beginning to talk about a father. And that's why I say, as we look into this, we can learn a lot about spiritual family. And so as he brings this fatherhood up and, and what it means uh, or, or talks about where he comes from and who is testifying about him, they ask him, where is your father? Now, they're going to do this a couple of times. And they're going to get more aggressive with it. But they're, they're basically calling Jesus out right now about being illegitimate because of the virgin birth and the controversy surrounding Joseph and Mary. Like, that she was pregnant before they got married and people knew that and there were things that were circulating. And though we know that it was a supernatural birth because we see who the father of, God, of Jesus is, um, here, uh, you, you know, later we, we find out, um, even in this text, that Jesus will acknowledge um, how he came into being. And he says to them when they ask them this, You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. Now, you, you got to get this. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to people who probably would think they are spiritual family together. He's talking to people who think they are right with God. He's talking to people who are extremely religious. And so he could very well be talking to people um, in our community today who have the same mindset that they are right with God. And he says, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Now, why is that important? Because he's challenging them. And they were the, the ruling authority in the temple. And he's, he's pushing back. He's leaning hard. And once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me. 
and you will die in your sin. And where I go, you cannot come. Okay, what is that about? Jesus is he's predicting that he's going to die, and they're going to be looking for his body, and they're not going to find him because he's going to rise to, from the dead, and he's going to go be with the Father. And they're, they're, um, they're, act, they're, um, de- they're determined to find fault with him and reject him, and they're failing to trust him. And because of that, he's saying that they will die in their sin because they will not trust him in faith. And so he says, I'm going away, and you'll look for me. You'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, (laughs) will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be you will indeed die in your sins. Okay, so now he's beginning to very, very specifically, this is Jesus, this is not Jimmy telling you this. This is not religion. This is not Baptist. This is not Catholic. This is not Protestant or or that category or the other or holiness, whatever you want to say. This is Jesus, okay? Get that straight. The man who walked on the planet, this is what he's saying. He is saying that, You will die in your sins because you do not believe I am the one I claim to be. They say this, who are you, they ask. He says, just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father, so Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. And so he's referring to when they will put him up on a cross. When I'm lifted up, there's another time that Jesus uses the same um, uh, language. He says, um, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. When Jesus is lifted up, men are drawn to him. And so even in this moment, as I'm lifting up Jesus, some of you may be drawn to him. That is the hope of the preaching of the gospel. And so he, he, he says all of this, and he begins to tell them about the Father. And there are some of the people uh, that put their faith in him. So in that moment, as Jesus is teaching in this particular setting, there are people who come to a point of belief, and they have faith. And so Jesus shifts. And so now we're seeing there are some people who were not in the spiritual family that are becoming part of the spiritual family, and Jesus specifically addresses them, and look at what he says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are Um, my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
So what is entailed in that? Well, he's saying, look, man, if something happens in you, and we could refer back to the story that we started with, with the woman that he encountered, go and leave your life of sin. He, we would say that if a person truly does meet the Lord, they are set free from the captivity of sin, and they begin to apply the teachings of Jesus to their lives, and that is where their freedom comes from. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. What is the condition for discipleship? People hold to the teaching of Jesus. And when they hold to the teaching of Jesus, they begin to recognize truth in their life, and the truth that they recognize transforms them, and they are set free to live on a different plane. And I can tell you that based upon this teaching of Scripture from the mouth of Jesus, and I can also testify with my own life, this has been true for me that I have held to the teachings of Christ, and he has set me free from the bondage of sin, okay? Now, they answered him, because some came into the family right then. Some did not. Just as even some in this room may be part of the family right now, and some are not. And so the ones who were not, man, were kind of like they didn't like what Jesus was saying there, because they did not adhere to his teaching. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. So here's, the, again, the family theme coming in. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Well, first of all, as Jewish people, they were missing the mark right there. They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves during the Babylonian captivity. And right now, they're slaves under the oppression of the Roman government. And so they weren't even really thinking clearly, which helps me to really make sense of what's going on in our world right now, is that people don't really think clearly when they are a part of, from the Lord. And so they are saying, how can you say that we shall be set free? We've never been slaves, which again is people who are bound up in sin and they're slaves to sin, they don't understand it. They don't realize that they really are. Only the ones who have been set free from it are the ones who understand it, which thereby makes it so more important for us to understand spiritual family and walk in spiritual family so that we could be a light as Jesus was being a light and we could be an example to the world who has not experienced this and they can begin to scratch their heads and go, what is going on? There's something happening about freedom in this person's life that I don't know anything about. And that's the way evangelism should be taking place as we are living out our identity as people who are part of the spiritual family of Christ. So they say, how can you say that we shall be set free? Now watch what Jesus says about sin and bondage. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, this is very important to understand the, the verb tense of the Greek there. It's not everyone who has committed a, a sin is, a, is the slave to sin. It's everyone who is practicing sin. Now what is sin? Sin is rebelling from God. So sin is not listening to what God has asked you to do in your life, not listening to what God has clearly communicated is his expectation for you as one of his disciples, following the teachings of Jesus. That's, that's how we know we're disciples. And so as Jesus says this, and he's saying, if you continue in a life of sin, now we go back to the woman, what did he tell her after he tells her, I don't condemn her? Leave your life of sin. Don't continue in this lifestyle that you are in. Walk away from it. And so clearly we see there is an expectation um, that once we have been set free, that that's, that's what happens. And so he says, um, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, 
So anybody who is a slave to sin has no place in the family. But a son, or we could say a daughter, belongs to it forever. So if the son, capital S, Jesus, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know, he says, you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for what? My word. How do we kill Jesus in our lives? Make no room for the word. That's what happens. What is happening in our culture? Nobody wants to make room for the word. They want to redefine the word and say the word must fit the culture. And Jesus clearly is teaching that if you want truth to set you free, you better make room for the word. If you want to be thought of as my disciple, you make room for the word, you receive it into your life, you yield to it, you leave your life of sin, and then you are part of the spiritual family. Otherwise, you are just practicing some religious bogus stuff. Like that is, that is the truth of what Jesus is saying here. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Whoa, they do have a dad. Now we got two dads going on here. We got a, the father of Jesus and the father of, of these guys that he's talking to who were the religious leaders of the day, okay? And this is what he says. They say, Abraham is our father, they answered. And what does Jesus say? If you were Abraham's children, now this is important. I want to I throw this out here. They were descendants. Jesus acknowledged they were physical descendants of Abraham. But he's also acknowledging that just because they're physical descendants of Abraham, they are not part of his spiritual family. Okay, so you can be a physical descendant of someone who really believed and loved and knew the Lord and not have anything to do with Jesus in your life. Just because you have someone in your family that you are descended from, that's why, that's why this whole thing, like when we, when, we, when we go through this practice and we just say, man, well, I'm just going to raise my kids up in this and I'm going to make sure they're baptized as infants and I'm going to do this, that doesn't matter. Like, that is not it, man. A person has to know the Lord. It doesn't matter what we do to our kids. It doesn't matter how much we take our kids to church. If they don't come to a point where they know the truth and the truth has set them free and they believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, they are walking with him, they may be the descendant of the believer, that, but that does not make them believers. And so that's why it's very important for us not to take steps to short-circuit anything in life. Every person must understand that they have to come to their own, their own will has to be surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so that's, that's kind of what Jesus is laying out here. And they say, Abraham is our father, they answered. And he says, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. And so they respond again. So he's again, he's, he's pointing back at their father, and he's saying there's something different about me and you. And so they, they respond with some very hateful speech. You want to see hate speech? Here's some. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And they pretty much right there were calling Jesus a bastard child. 
right there on the spot. Just boom. And so what, do, now what, does that, what does that say to us? It says to us that whenever we begin to walk with a person and you, you start to walk in truth, often as things are exposed, they will become hateful. Okay? You got to be aware of this. You got to be aware that this will happen because you got to use wisdom. Notice that Jesus did not respond with emotion. He just responded with truth. And so when people begin to get on shaky ground in their life, then what will happen is they will begin to get real emotional and they will start name-calling even, and that's what happened to Jesus. And so Jesus ups the truth since they're upping the rejection. Since they're getting more hostile, he's letting more truth be shed into their situation. And listen to what he says. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. Now, this is very, very important. In the English, we say love, and we go, you know, I I love my wife. I love my kids. And I love the banana split I got from Dairy Queen on my free day last night. Right? So we we just kind of love means all kinds of different things. In the Greek language, there are different words for love. And, and so that we, we have a, uh, the, the love uh, of phileo, and that's friendship love. I love my friends. We have uh, storge, and that is um, how we love our children. It's a family love, okay? We have, I love my kids. I have a, 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 we have a, a maternal and paternal instinct toward our children. And so that's storge. And then there is agape. And that is divine love. So agape in the Bible is like, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not have, uh, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's agape. Okay. That's divine love. In this particular passage, when Jesus said, if God were your father, you would agape me. You would, he did not say storge. He did not say phileo. He said agape me. If God is our father, then we have the ability to agape him. We have divine love for him because he has showed us what divine love is. And not everybody is capable of divine love. Only those who are part of the spiritual family can agape Jesus the way Jesus agapes them. And that's very important because a lot of people say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but do you agape him? Because when you agape him, then you are able to say he's the most important thing in my life. He's more important than my career. He's more important than my kids. He's more important than my marriage. He's more important than my hobbies. He is above all and in all. He has control of my finances. He has control of my time. He has control of my dreams. I agape him. Why do I agape him? Because he agapes me. He has transformed me. Therefore, now I am a new creation. No longer the old, but the new has come into me because I agape the Lord as he has agaped me. And so Jesus says that if we know him, we would agape him. If, if we loved God, we would, be, we would agape Jesus. For I came from God and now here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. And this is very important. Why is my language not clear to you? And here's the reason. Because everything I just said, man, some of you may be just going, what? I, I, agape, what is, what is he talking about? There's a reason you can't get it. 
And there's a reason that some people get it, and there's a reason that some people don't. And Jesus clearly shows us right here. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. There's the other father in this picture that Jesus is laying out. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. And there's the reason you can't understand that kind of talk. But people who are in the spiritual family clearly get it. As a matter of fact, it is so clear um, that, that people get it is I can meet a stranger who knows God and agapes him, and immediately feel a connection. I can also meet people in a church that I've been a part of forever and not have a connection with them because it's obvious that they do not agape God. And so like the, the, the language is not clear for them. And so he says the reason is is because they don't know him and they're following a lie, believing a lie, caught up in a lie. The enemy is the father of lies. And so it's very easy to be persuaded by someone who is lying. And if we're believing lies, the more truth that is exposed to us, the more hostile we'll become toward the truth. And that's how people end up hating God. Okay? And if you don't think it's possible... All we have to do is look back history. Jesus was God, and what did they do to him when they listened to the lie? They crucified him on the cross of Calvary. They tried to get rid of him. We said, oh, man, I don't see how they could do that. People are doing it every day of our lives. They have no room for the word of God, so they're crucifying him in their lives, putting him aside and saying, I'm believing this lie. I don't want that truth to be a part of my life. The Jews answered him, are we right in saying, now watch, every, more truth, more name calling. <laughs> are we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? Now, demon possession had different meanings. Sometimes demon possessed in the Bible means a person was literally demon possessed. But sometimes it just means you're crazy. And that's what they're saying here. They aren't you a Samaritan? And not only a Samaritan, you are insane. You're a crazy Samaritan. Jesus says, I'm not possessed by a demon. <laughs> or, <laughs> I loved it. You see Jesus saying, no, I'm not crazy, bro. You are. <laughs> he says, I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What? Never die. Now this, man, this has rattled their cages. It says, at this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed or crazy. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now if you ever want to know who Jesus thought he was, he's about to tell you right here. Okay? This is what he says. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father in whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. 
If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And so then they say, we're almost finished. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. When Moses was called by God to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, he asked in that moment, who do I tell Pharaoh? Who do I tell the Israelites that sent me? You tell them, I am sent you. In this moment, Jesus is telling us that he is God. And at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So as we see here in that whole like chapter of truth, and we pick out this stuff about spiritual family, here are three observations, and I'm not going to expound them, so, so don't worry, we're, we're about done. Number one, spiritual family is united by freedom from sin. Not they're sinless, but they're free from it. They don't, they're not bond slaves of it anymore. And so there's a connection among us. When we do life together, we, we know we're set free from sin, that it no longer has a hold on us. And even as we look back in the history of Israel, them being in captivity in Egypt, they were the bond slaves of Egypt, but they were set free. It is a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross as he came to die, be buried rise from the dead. So we're united by freedom from sin. Second, the language of the Lord is clear to spiritual family. Like we, like we get it. So we can speak to one another about the things of the Lord, and it makes sense to us. If it's confusing to you, then the, then the first place you need to start is, am, am I, like, do I know Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life? Have I surrendered to the truth that he teaches? Do I know him? Do I agape him? Have I accepted his agape love into my life? So if the, because when you do, then the spiritual language, that's, this is why, man, when you talk about um, the preaching of the gospel and you look and read old stories, man, and the guy's just up there, he's going at it and he's preaching the gospel and people start shouting spontaneously. Why? Because they understand the language. It's not a secret language. It's just a language, I would say, that is a mystery. The, the word the, the used for mystery in the Bible is reminded of the word, the Greek word mysterion. And it means that which has been hidden for ages has now been revealed by God. And so the mystery, the veil is lifted and we recognize who Jesus was. Jesus was not a prophet. Jesus was not a teacher. Jesus was God. And he died in our stead to set us free from sin so we could be united as family and we could understand a common language. And then the third thing is spiritual family is forever. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, 
We'll never taste death. The good news is, man, when we become part of the kingdom of God and we become part of the spiritual family, is that some of us will go on, we'll pass from this life. We lost a brother not too long ago. Bob has gone on. But the family is forever. We will see Bob again, and we will be united. And Bob is with those all throughout time who has experienced the transformation of being set free from their sins and knowing Jesus as a Lord and agapeing him because they have received the agape love from the Lord. And they've walked in that. And so it's forever. And I didn't write this one down, but geez, man, Jesus is coming back. (laughs) He's coming. Like, we don't think about this. We're so caught up in our own lives that he's coming back. And I fear that most people, not most people, many people who think that they're part of the family of God couldn't recognize Jesus if he walked up and knocked on the front door. There are people in our community who say they know Jesus, man, I can't understand anything about their lives. And they, if, they know, like if they know Jesus, he spells his name different than the Jesus I know. They're speaking a different language. I I can't see the word in their lives. I see no room for the word. And so this is very important for us to understand as we're looking at our friends. And this is what I want you to take away. Is I want you to understand with compassion, not judgment, but with compassion. All of your friends are not in your spiritual family. And if they are not in that family, and it's not family forever. Like you gotta, you gotta look at the people you work with, and you gotta have some urgency about your life, the people you go to school with. And you gotta go, men, are these people in the family or not? Because our mission as disciples of Jesus is to go and make more disciples so that the family grows. <laughs> the church, the body of Christ is an open door place where we're bringing people in. Say, man, I want you to be part of the family. There's the fridge. Get anything out you want. I come in and be a part of my family. And so we have to work towards that. And so the big idea as we land this thing is your spiritual family is determined by your spiritual father. There are only two choices. So as Corey comes and we, we end this sermon, Who's your daddy? <laughs> right. That's the point. It's like, who, who, who's your daddy? Jesus is saying, I know where I came from. And you can know too. And that's the whole purpose. Like, we move into the Easter week, man. That's what it's about. That's the whole purpose of Jesus coming to the planet is he wants you to be a part of the family of God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to, uh, I want you to think about that question. And I want you to deal with, is the Lord drawing you unto himself? If things, man, is, are things happening right now in you? The lights are coming on and things are being illuminated and it, it feels more clear for you. Um, like let him have his way, man. <laughs> come be a part of the family of all the things that I want to achieve in my life 
And there are a lot of things. Like, I'm just like you. I like to, I like to be successful at stuff. My heart's desire, man, is that the family grows. The spiritual family of the Lord just grows. Is that's what the gospel, the good news is. It's for everyone. But if we don't receive the truth, we'll end up living a lie. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.